everybody. Uh, welcome to the For the Town podcast. Uh, my name is Brian Doback from Streamsong Church. I'm the pastor of Streamsong Church in Doylestown. And uh, man, on this podcast, uh, we're seeking to discover uh, the God-given creativity, the drive, and the passions uh, of people and leaders within the Doylestown and Central Bucks community. And uh, we're going to do this by uh, interviewing uh, local entrepreneurs, local philanthropists, uh, educators, business leaders, people in governance, and employees of all levels, uh, and celebrate them. Celebrate them and highlight their particular role in the community, and uh, also give you a path uh, on how to connect uh, with them. So, uh, and at, at the very least, um, at the end of a, an interview, we hope that uh, you feel like you got to know somebody. <laughs> and um, we're creating a little bit of community here during this time. So, uh, man, on the podcast today, right now, we have uh, Jenny. Um, Jenny, can you uh, introduce yourself? So, hi, I'm Jenny Isaacs. I am the Executive Director of Immigrant Rights Action uh, here in Doylestown. And I live right in the borough. And uh, I, got, I know you've got lots of questions to ask me, and I'm ready. Yeah, man, do uh, uh, something I, I, I enjoy learning about people is just um, more, more of some personal things. Like, uh, tell me about uh, your family. You have a family and kids and uh, a husband and all that. I do. I've been married for 30 years um, to actually the first person that I spoke to when I got out of my dad's car as an undergraduate going to college, although we did not <laughs> start going out until after we graduated. Um, I have, we have three daughters. They are 27, 25, and 18. I have, my youngest is one of the graduating seniors of 2020 <laughs> who are going to look back on this time. Um, uh, That's awesome. That sounds like an awesome story about how you met your uh, husband. <laughs> um, man, what are you, I'm just curious, you know, uh, cause I'm married. Um, we have two daughters, uh, ages five and three, so a lot younger uh, kids. Um, I, I love talking to different husbands and wives and asking them, like, what have you learned um, as a wife, as a mother um, over these years? And I'm taking the advice, so <laughs> I'd love to know what you've learned. Um, I always tell people uh, that I have never once regretted delaying anything with the kids um, as far as, you know, I mean, it's a different world even than it was because my, my little, my older two are about, you know, 10 and eight years ahead of the youngest. Uh, and even, you know, her uh, life has, you know, she, she came of age at a different time, but we had a, for instance, uh, you know, a relatively screen-free household and really put off um, exposure to uh, social media and all of that kind of stuff for as long as we could um, and uh, had never had a moment of regret about that. They catch up perfectly fast. <laughs> um, and of course, I've learned, you know, you learn many, many lessons from your children and from a life partner uh, if you're fortunate enough to have that uh, environment. And I certainly feel, I mean, I, I learn patience every day and I, um, patience and persistence. 
And I also, I am definitely one of those people who, when I entered into marriage, I never occurred to me that my husband would become my best friend. Mm. I thought, and I now at, you know, the age that at 55, um, you know, that connect those connections that we have of just sharing life and, um, and interests has turned out to be, I, you know, he really is my best friend and collaborative partner in this project mm. of, um, of child rearing. That's, uh, awesome. So. That's awesome. Where, where did Jenny, where did you go to uh, college? I went to Johns Hopkins university in Baltimore. Yeah. Great. Um, awesome. And what, what did you study there? I studied, I began as an international studies major and then wound up majoring in writing with a degree in poetry. Mm. So they had an undergraduate writing degree. I knew that I wanted to become a teacher and that is what I, in fact, what I did with my poetry degree. Um, I do still, I very, very occasionally write poetry. I have three times in the last 10 years been the first runner up in the Bucks County Poet Laureate competition. Wow. So. <laughs> very cool. Um, but, uh, but primarily I went from, um, my cop from college into teaching, uh, first English and history, and then working as a middle, as an administrator in a middle school at a Quaker, um, institution in downtown Philadelphia. Awesome. Man. Um, yeah, uh, I've been to Baltimore. I've been to uh, Johns Hopkins and that's a great school. Um, I was really impressed with, uh, with that school when I've been there. When did you move to Doylestown? We actually, well, I moved to Bucks County in 2001. Um, and uh, my children were enrolled at a school that had relocated to Upper Black Eddy. And uh, so we followed them from Berks, which is where we lived. And then, um, but we moved from Ottsville, from the more rural kind of part of Central Bucks, uh, down to Doylestown in 2014. Okay. And uh, so we have been here in the borough ever since. And I do have to say, we thought we would miss our country mouse existence more, but I love living in a town. I love Doylestown. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's kind of a, that leads to the next question. I like to ask people because Doylestown is really a, one of the more unique, in a good way, um, communities that I've experienced. And um, I like to ask people, like, why, what about Doylestown do you love? Um, about Doylestown and Central Bucks. Why are you staying here? <laughs> um, well, in Central Bucks, I, I, I was originally drawn to that uh, undeveloped aspect of it as we got, you know, sort of north of Doylestown. Uh, we were in the woods. I really loved the rural aspect of it. The fact that, you know, sort of um, my children grew up outdoors. Um, and, uh, and so what's interesting to me about what I love about Doylestown is now feels kind of like the big city for me. It's such all of these accoutrements of civilization, like the library that I could walk to and, uh, you know, a, 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 a we're fortunate enough to have an independent movie theater, uh, all these restaurants and, uh, the museum and so forth. And so it just, and yet it's all on this manageable scale. Yeah. Uh, so I love that. Um, and, uh, I, and I, and I think it's aesthetically an extremely beautiful city too. I'm kind of a fan of architecture. Yeah. And, uh, so the pres and the preservation that happened in the 1960s here in Doylestown 
when the community came together to prevent urban renewal, which it's funny to sound about that, think that urban renewal could have impacted a community like this one, but many uh, Pennsylvania towns were really hollowed out at that point. Mm-hmm. And in Doylestown, I learned shortly after I moved here that the community, the actual retailers themselves formed together to, um, to organize, to uh, create uh, lo- local loans and so forth so that they wouldn't have to give up, move out, and allow that center portion of town to be knocked down in order to create something that looked different. And so it's preserved its charm and uh, history in a way that is, is very, is, as you said, I mean, this is unusual. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, it's interesting to me because I am an organizer, as you're going to hear. Uh, so I love the history that is rooted right here in this community of a community thinking, for, thinking beyond the immediate um, gratification of like cash federal money and thinking about what the impact uh, long term would be on the community. And I feel like that is deep in the soul of Doylestown. Yeah, very cool. Man, what's your, uh, you mentioned earlier, um, how much you like the restaurants. I, I always like to ask, uh, uh, what's your favorite restaurant in Doylestown? There's so many good ones. There are so many good ones and it is a little hard to pick a favorite and I feel guilty, but I'm going to say I love Lovebird and Jewels. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love those. They're, they're owned by the same folks, as you may or may not know. And Jewels is the pizza place and Lovebird is the chicken and tofu place, And uh, at least for me. Um, and I, what I love about them is their commitment to local supply, local, locally sourced ingredients. So that's a magic thing too, Um, you know, as far as that when you walk in there, you see the photographs of local farms where they're actually growing the vegetables that are on the, you know, sort of on the pizza at Jules. And um, that to me is, uh, you know, sort of allows us to support with our local restaurant dollar also uh, the community that of farmers that surrounds us and helps to preserve Bucks County looking and uh, uh, feeling the way that it is, yeah. uh, as well as not engaging with the industrial agricultural, um, you know, system that we, that is in place in so much of this country. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. My wife and I, we just went to uh, Lovebird for the first time. Uh, it was a couple of months ago. No, it was more than that. Maybe three months, four months ago. Uh, we loved it. Um, it was really, really good. Uh, and we want to go back, but it was right at the point where the quarantine started just before that. And we were like, oh, I guess we're not going to be going back there again uh, soon. So we're looking forward to heading back there. Um, man, what are, uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, what are three things that you uh, personally um, really love? You know, what are, what are your things? You know, it, it could be anything like ice cream, movies, reading, whatever, like, what are your things? Like, what are your three things? Um, I am a reader. Uh, it is my escape. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, sort of the, it, it really sort of lets me go off into uh, someplace else. So I normally am a person who reads books. Uh, I had about 12 out from the library when it shut. <laughs> um, and I went through them very fast. So now I am doing, getting a lot of electronic books and rereading a lot of the things on our shelves. Um, I read a lot of nonfiction. I love science fiction. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a wide range, I have wide ranging tastes, uh, but it, it can take, it takes me away and um, let, you know, and feeds my brain. 
Um, I'm not really a big movie person, uh, and uh, I like to go out to the movies. I do not typically watch them at home. Um, I'm a very fast reader, so also like every, everything that comes through video is a little slow for me because <laughs> I can read a lot faster than real life. Yeah. Um, what else do I love? I'm a birder. I uh, haven't had an opportunity to do much of that recently, um, but I do. I love to. Uh, I didn't, you know I to walk and identify uh, birds. Um, gosh, what's my third thing? I. Sounds very boring, but I cannot come up with, I love to read, I love to bird. I do love, well, and I'm still uh, working on trying to find a place in my life for creating poetry. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I like to read too, but I have a hard time with reading. Um, I have a lot of books in my library, uh, library, um, where the bookmark is like halfway through the book. I just, it's so hard for me to stay focused and like finish a book. So um, that's something I'm working on. I, I appreciate it. It sounds like you can finish books, right? <laughs> it's almost compulsive, actually. I, I, I have to really, really, really hate what I'm reading to stop. And sometimes, so sometimes I'm miserable. Like I'm not even enjoying this, but I have to finish it. So it's a little different. People, people come in all different flavors, right? Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. I am definitely one of those people who once I start something, I'm kind of obsessive about finishing it. Awesome. I appreciate that. Man, I'd love to um, yeah, ask you some questions about uh, your organization and what you do. Uh, can you share with the listeners um, what, what, what you do? Um, how did you get involved in what you do? And, you know, where, where and how did uh, your passion kind of arise? So I guess I, I mean, um, I, this started for me because I am a Spanish speaker, basically. And I had become involved as uh, just in, uh, through, through uh, being a member of my Quaker meeting. I'm a member of Doylestown Friends Meeting. Uh, somebody had reached out to us uh, for help with an individual who was looking for housing um, and had been apprehended by immigration. And this was under the prior administration. Uh, but it was in late 2016 when I was contacted. Or, uh, um, and uh, so I had said, well, you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish. And so or I speak Spanish and I love the opportunity to practice my Spanish. So I can certainly help with interpretation uh, if this person needs it while we're, you know, in the, in the process of finding him housing. And uh, so I began accompanying him to his, he had regular immigration, he had a go down physically to Philadelphia to present himself at ICE, like kind of like if you have a probation, a parole officer or probation officer. Uh, so he had to show that he was still around. And I also provided accompaniment, transportation and accompaniment with him on the train and accompanied him to court, to immigration court. Uh, so that I'd had a little bit of exposure to this process. And then in March of 2017, um, I had taken, this was at a time when a lot of folks in the community, harking back to that organizing um, uh, history that we know so well, um, I was invited by Marlene Prey, who is a local activist, um, to be present on a panel for uh, community members who wanted to know how can we support immigrants and refugees in our community. Um, it was the time of the Muslim, immediately after the Muslim ban, a lot of people were just very concerned about the feelings of immigrants in our community. So I was one of the panelists. I had 
just taken a workshop on know your rights for, you know, with respect to immigration law and an and overview of immigration law. So I wasn't really much of an expert. I had literally had two hours of training, <laughs> two or three hours of training uh, over the weekend. And then on a Wednesday night, I'm giving a 15 minute talk about this, but I was there on the, uh, on that panel. And the very next morning I was contacted by the Mar Marlene called me and she said, Jenny, we've had an immigrant, an ice raid in our community and four young restaurant workers were apprehended this morning. And I was like, you're kidding. And she said, I'm about to go meet with an immigration, uh, with one of the impacted employers. And I said, oh, well, where, you know, which restaurant is it? And she gave me the name and I said, Marlene, you're not going to believe this, but I'm standing outside that restaurant right now. And she was like, really? And I was like, I see you. Because of course we're on cell phones. So we went up together. And I contacted the other, uh, the, the employer of the guy I had been working with because she, uh, she had some experience with what you do with somebody is apprehended by ICE. And Marlene had, was in contact with uh, Blanca Pacheco, who is the executive director of New Sanctuary Movement in Philadelphia, a long established uh, immigrant rights organization. And she stepped us through, you know, just the mechanics of what to do when a community member has been detained. And... Um, and at one point, I see Blanca regularly now, and I asked her recently if she remembers this conversation, and she does. She's on the cell phone, right? She's on speakerphone, and she said, do you have an immigrant rights organization in your community because you should report this raid to them? And Marlene was like, no, we don't have anything like that. And I was like, wait a minute. There were 75 people in a church last night that, you know, who you pull together to talk about what to do for our immigrant neighbors. And I said, and we had an ice raid this morning and within four hours, we had three people sitting in one of the impacted employers offices. I was like, I think we do. And that's really how immigrant rights action started. It was sort of born out of what was already happening. Um, we began to organize around that and we have never stopped. Uh, we've had, we began doing, uh, for, we started to bring uh, to make connections in the immigrant community by visiting the restaurants in Doylestown on foot and asking if we could do back of the house know your rights trainings. Through that, we began to establish an, a reporting network so that we were able to monitor the um, you know activity of ICE, which was very accelerated. Um, we saw a big increase in April and May of 2017. We did there was a lot of activity here. And so we started getting reports and um, referring people to attorneys when they had been detained so that their families could uh, um, make a contract in, um, individually for representation in the event that somebody had a legal way to fight their deportation. And we also, again, thanks to um, Marlene and Hannah Howe, who is a, uh, was a member of our group from early on, they put up a fundraising page and they... Um, Begin, and we crowdsourced some funds that we had to use to pay the attorney who visited them at the place where they're at the prison in New York where they were being detained in order to, um, again, interview them to see whether they had uh, a legal case to fight their deportation. And that has been the model that we have followed ever since. Mm -hmm. But it, the, and the scale now is just unbelievable that from that day in March 2017 till now, we have um, distributed over $35,000 in legal immigration, in aid to legal immigration cases. That's over 75 separate cases because we actually generally have a limit of 500 per case, which is just a drop in the bucket. 
but is enough to help people with deposits and, uh, and so forth. So we provide financial assistance, accompaniments down to ICE, down to required supervision visits at ICE, down to immigration court. We also do work with folks who are impacted by the criminal justice system from all over the county. Um, and uh, regard, even a legal immigrant can have their status jeopardized if they have contact with the criminal justice system. And of course, it's a project, you know, a process to be navigate, navigated that can use an advocate. Um, we have over 30 volunteers now. Not all of them are Spanish speaking, uh, but they provide local transportation and accompaniments um, to uh, some, some are longtime residents of the immigrant to the immigrant community. Some are longtime residents of Bucks County. Some are recently arrived asylum seekers, most of whom were joining family that was already here and who needed, when they got here, help enrolling their children in the school and getting their required vaccinations if they didn't, they weren't up to date, and um, and also in getting an attorney, attorney legal representation in order to. Um, uh, you know, follow the legal process of applying for asylum. And as I mentioned to you before we started recording, my organization is right now in the process of applying for recognition by the Department of Justice to be able to provide basic representation to people in immigration cases. Uh, so you don't have to have a law degree in, you know, or be a, a, a lawyer in order to do the simple stuff. And uh, once we accomplish that, we will be the only recognized legal services, Im uh, legal immigration services provider in Bucks County. Mm. So just as with the work that we do in our group, I mean, if there had been an organization to refer to, we would have done it. But instead, we needed to develop as a group. And I put the emphasis on the we because I do function as the executive director. I am a volunteer, a full-time volunteer. Um, we do have, we have a board and, and a number of hardworking, like I said, almost 30 um, hardworking volunteers. And we also have been uh, over the last year working to acquire grant uh, through, we, we've uh, received grants that allowed us to hire our first part-time staff member. So we our goal, our goal is to build up towards a paid staff person so that we can make sure that this place, uh, that this service is available to immigrants in uh, Bucks County long after the original founders have moved on. Very cool. Yeah, like um, it sounds like, you know, part of what you guys do is um, you educate uh, that demographic on like what their rights are because from what I understand, um, there's like a false narrative out there where uh, illegal immigrants uh, are not allowed to be in the States at all. Um, can you like kind of, I, I think that's correct. Can you kind of like dispel those narratives? Like um, you can be in America, even if like you're not documented, you have rights. Um, to be in the country if you're seeking a better life. Like, is that right? So there's all kinds of, it's a very complicated system that I probably shouldn't go too deeply into because this all came very, like I said, you know, it came very slowly to me and I've built up that up over time. I think the biggest, um, there are two, the, probably at the heart of the um, misapprehensions that people often have is that there's a proper a line that awaits that somebody should be able to immigrate the right way 
that in other words, that there is a process by which somebody can uh, establish, you know, sort of legally gain status. And the fact of the matter is that under our current immigration laws, that actually isn't true. That the, um, it's extremely difficult, the, the options are extremely difficult and basically non-existent, especially for Central, the Central Americans with whom we primar primarily work. Um, so that some people believe, you know, well, if you are, if you're gainfully employed, then your employer should be able to sponsor you. Well, that isn't the case. Um, if you're married to a U.S. citizen, you should easily be able to get uh, to acquire a green card. That is not the case. Uh, so, and these are laws, uh, primarily, many of these limitations have been in place since 1996. Uh, so it is also not, these are not new restrictions that we're seeing. They are, they're built in and baked into the system. Um, you spoke correctly when you said that all individuals here on U.S. soil have certain constitutional rights, regardless of how they got here or what their immigration status is. And many of the folks that we work with, the other, the other issue is that they do, um, sometimes people are unaware that there is potentially a path to legalization or they are, they could, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, often not affirmatively, but defensively that they, in, if they are apprehended by immigration charged with being in, you know, in the country without and having uh, unlawful presence here, that they potentially can defend, uh, defend successfully against that. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that we try to make sure is that everybody has the opportunity if they do have a path to regularize their status um, it's not going to be easy or obvious, and it's not that they were jumping in line against, you know, in some way uh, that where other good law-abiding immigrants uh, um, were not, but we do want to make sure that people have all the legal support that they um, that they are entitled to, and that involves putting them together with um, reputable immigration attorneys. Unfortunately, it is also a field where there's a lot of predation. People are desperate, they're vulnerable, and they want to hear that the answer is, yeah, sure, I can fix your status, just give me $10,000. And unfortunately, we hear again and again that people have given over a great deal of money to folks who did not represent them appropriately or um, you know, who falsely promised things that could not literally not be achieved. So one of the roles that we play is to help steer people towards um, reputable attorneys. They may not always win, but we know they aren't gonna rip anybody off. And we also, in once we have our um, recognition as a legal immigration services provider, we can legally screen somebody for their eligibility. That is not something we can do, like because that's the, uh, it's the unauthorized practice of law if I just do that as like a buddy. I can't just point at somebody's history and immigration history and say you qualify for this or that. But with if I am a, an accredited representative by the Department of Justice, then I can provide that, um, the, you know, let people know what their uh, potential is as far as regularizing their status. That's awesome. Very good. Very good. Man, what's, uh, what do you love the most about your job, uh, your work? And then what do you uh, love the least uh, about your work? <laughs> Um, so I love, um, I mean, I do, I love working with the individuals face to face. It's very, I think this is what I love about this job, I guess, is that it's a great, it's a 
perfect combination for me where there's personal, individual, one-on-one connection that is meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and also at the same time, I am working on systemic change um, to bring something into being that didn't exist before in Bucks County that has an impact on an issue that isn't just local, but is global, I mean, national and global on, in scale. Um, I am somebody who wants to be able to connect with and uh, remedy what I see as the wrongs in the world. And this gives me the opportunity to do that. Um, I love organizing, uh, you know, kind of like pulling people together, watching something like this take off, uh, you know, effectively kind of, um, you know, bringing something into the world. Uh, prior to this, at, at, um, in a previous life, so to speak, I had started a Montessori school. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, that was something where that began in our houses as an informal cooperative where we had the teacher that, uh, you know, one, uh, and that now is a you know, 501c3 holding, nonprofit, uh, thriving um, place with the daycare center, a childcare license, and a, you know, school up through offering class through, uh, school up through kindergarten age um, in Frenchtown, New Jersey. So that was the, the sense I've, I've, I've I, this has happened to me before where I've seen something grow from something that it was just a few people together. And again, I have to emphasize, it's just like, you cannot do this alone. So the connection with um, other individuals in this community who were concerned about immigration and saw the need and were willing to come together and put an incredible amount of time and support into developing uh, this, you know, um, has been, so I really, I've appreciated that the teamwork and, um, uh, community that's been built in that way as well. That's awesome. What do you, uh, what do you love the least? Uh, what do you leave? Well, about it? it's very depressing to understand that when I talked about representing people in immigration cases, doesn't that sound fabulous? What that means is filling out forms. Um, filling out lots and lots of, it's a bureaucratic process and I'm really, yeah. So it's boring and it's, and the stakes are very high. So it's boring and stressful. Um, and, uh, so I'm not crazy about that even, but it's the fundamental way in which I can serve. And so it does, it's good for me because I'm very detail oriented, um, you know, but uh, I talked about that compulsive finishing and, and checking and so forth. So I know it is a strength of mine, but it doesn't mean it's fun. Like I'd much rather be giving slideshows and giving talks or driving down to fill, you know, entertaining somebody on the train who is going to a stressful event. And um, I feel like my role then is just to like be as cheerful as possible and sort of talk about Billy, the legend of Billy Penn's hat and uh, um, in Philadelphia and kind of play tour guide and so forth. So I love getting to speak Spanish. Um, and uh, and I hate seeing the many, many ways in which our system is just set up, stacked against uh, these folks who, as you said, are here just to um, make a better life for themselves yeah. and who have to contend with so many challenges. Yeah. So. And besides, uh, besides that alarm clock and um, a paycheck, although I think you said you don't get paid, uh, you're a volunteer. But just pretend you get paid. Um, <laughs> besides an alarm clock and a paycheck, like what wakes you up in the morning? Uh, I have to admit that I am a 
fiend, a fiendish coffee addict. And I literally like, I wake up in the morning and I'm so excited to be able to get downstairs. So the, the pot is set to go off before we wake, before, you know, before I wake. And, uh, I just like, I come bouncing out of bed cause I can't wait for that first cup of coffee. Um, so it's a good, it's, uh, it, that is both a ritual, but also literally what I look forward to in the day. Sometimes when I'm setting it up the night before, I like can't wait to wake up. That's great. Now, you know, it's hard to have a conversation these days without talking about the pandemic. Um, you know, I just wanted to ask a couple questions. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about the pandemic because it's such a huge part of our lives right now. I think we're all trying to get away from it, but I think it's fair to ask some questions like, you know, how, how is this like pandemic impacting you? Um, and also, you know, your organization. So it is interesting if you kind of squint at my own home, things aren't so different because my husband works from home. And I also, although we have an office, which I am sitting in right now, that's only because we were having, I was having a meeting in it earlier, working on this DOJ packet. We only use the, I mostly use the office for uh, meetings and I do a lot of my work on the kitchen table or out and about. Um, so in some ways it's not like uh, it hasn't changed so much. And I we are an essential business, so we were able to continue open. So I can have people in here if we cannot accomplish what need is, needs to be accomplished, uh, you know, remotely. Uh, so, of course, we have masks. I have my mask. <laughs> and um, we, uh, you know, so, so uh, one of the things that has affected um, – it has affected our work in terms of the uh, lack of, like, I have far fewer – activities that people are needing transportation for. The immigration courts were closed for non-detained hearings. Uh, ISA, however, was still open and asking people to come down. And I, and I felt like I couldn't ask my volunteers to, normally we escort people on the train to show them how to get in and out of Philadelphia on themselves. That, so we switched to driving uh, people in and out of Philly. And for the most part, I've done a great deal of that. A lot of my volunteers are older or come from uh, high-risk households, and I didn't want anybody to be, you know, putting in a, uh, put in a position where they were at risk. So we're just slowly, as with everybody else, we're slowly, as we monitor the situation and watch that, you know, sort of this reopening unfold, you know, we're going to step, step into, we're looking forward to being able to meet face to face. We have monthly public bilingual meetings in Doylestown and uh, those went online. Uh, we hosted a big round table for businesses, ag agencies, programs, and services that uh, work with immigrants in Bucks County. And we had to take that, you know, that became virtual as well. It was wonderful that we had that already scheduled because by the time it rolled around, it was April 15th. And we had wanted to talk about what the resources were during the pandemic, because I don't want to, I don't want to omit the observation that these closures and the, um, you know, the economic impact of, of COVID-19 is impacting the immigrant community uh, in a tangible and immediate way. So many of them work in restaurants and uh, other places. So there's a lot of people who are out of work. That's going to be true throughout Bucks County. The most vulnerable populations are going to be, you know, well, are already being uh, affected. And then, of course, the immigrants that we work with, uh, those who do not have Social Security numbers are not eligible for any kind of federal uh, support and extremely limited state and uh, county, you know, uh, county supports. 
And so that is, um, you know, it's a, it, that, that causes some heartache. Uh, we were fortunate to be able to be part of a statewide effort called the Pennsylvania Immigrant Relief Fund that raised uh, or that allowed us to distribute some immediate cash assistance uh, to individuals who we knew were particularly desperate. Um, and we have a little bit more of that funding um, on its way so that, you know, we don't have a lot, but we can at least, uh, you know, sort of help the absolutely um, you know, most desperate situations that we see out there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, do, what are you, uh, what are you learning um, uh, about yourself during this time? Um, you know, it's got, this time is so unique and crazy. Uh, I think it's got everybody just kind of like reflecting, reevaluating, you know, what, what, what are you learning about yourself um, in this time? I guess I am learning that I am very, very bad at using, I have an abundance of tools to cope, to use, to cope with stress mm -hmm. and to cope with uncertainty and to keep myself sort of spiritually fit and mentally stable uh, during uh, a time like this. And one of them is physical exercise, which I've also been limited by because I had a, I sprained my knee early on in the, uh, uh, during this situation. So I also had, you know, couldn't walk for a while. And so that was really problematic, but I also learned, I, you know, I, you, you get into these moments of just like self pity and despair or crabbiness and poor me and why me and, um, and so forth. And I just am always just continually shocked by the fact that I can't make use of the, you know, the, my spiritual community, my Quaker, uh, meeting, um, the, and the many, many sort of things. So, I mean, I have to laugh. I'm just like, it's all out there for me to use. And, uh, so when it comes down to it, being in a super bad mood about things is really my choice. I've just like decided that everything is going to be terrible today. Yeah. And, uh, I just have to, I, I, I just have to practice falling myself back out, laughing at myself and saying, yeah. all right, why would anybody choose to be in a terrible mood? Yeah. Right. Why? Mm -hmm. So what are, uh, what are, uh, what's, uh, during this pandemic, what are you, uh, what are you grateful for despite this, uh, pandemic? Well, some of the things, I mean, one thing I'm grateful for that was directly caused by it because my middle daughter who normally lives in DC has, you know, came home with us for the duration. If you had told her back in, in the middle of March that she would still be here towards the middle of June, you know, I don't even know. <laughs> But it's lovely for us. We love having, you know, it's a, of course, that's the purpose of the child rearing uh, is, you know, that they get, you, you know, all along and eventually the idea is they leave the nest. But let me tell you, it's never stops being wonderful for have them home. So at least for me, so I am. Um, so we're grateful. I'm grateful to have her. I think that that's helped the family dynamic a little bit too. Um, is her sister, you know, has companionship and she can hang with her dad and we're not, and it's a little bit of a different special, it's kind of a special um, uh, thing for us. And I'm grateful, of course, for the good health of um, my family and our, and our loved ones and friends um, and, you know, grateful for the, the energy that I see out there for, um, you know, striving to try to make this a, at least a rough draft of a better society. Um, it doesn't, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, 
of callousness and uh, of you know lack of the of you know the, the what we're willing to do and uh, uh, as far as allowing the poor to suffer regardless of whether they're immigrants or not you know is is continually shocking to me mm-hmm. continually yeah. so this didn't like you know it's nothing new uh, and I continue to be grateful in the same way that I am for the opportunity to struggle to say like, well, what, what would I like the world to be like and how can I live in a way that is going to bring that about, yeah. uh, you know, maybe sooner or yeah. at least model. I appreciate that, Jenny. Um, man, what's a, you know, for the listeners, um, I, 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 w- I want these listeners to walk away having felt like they got to know somebody and then, um, you know, if they want to connect, um, how can they connect with you? Like what's, what's the, uh, how can the people connect uh, with you if uh, they're interested in talking to you a little bit more, maybe they want to get um, involved in, in, in your work. Like how can they connect with you? So we do, we have a website. It's called immigrantrightsaction.org. And uh, so if you, if you go there, there's a website uh, contact form and those emails come right to me. Um, we also have a Google voice <laughs> phone number. Uh, it's 267-935-9425. And that rings directly to my cell phone. So, and I pick up numbers that I don't recognize because sometimes <laughs> that, those are the numbers, that's the, the number that people use to get in touch to say, hey, I need anything from, I need help making an appointment. Like today I had help, please help me make an appointment at the hospital because I don't speak English. I had, can you tell me what happened with my son's uh, guilty plea that he had today, that he was giving today at the county uh, court? And I had, can you, can I please have an accompaniment to Philadelphia on July 6th when I have to go visit immigration? Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of questions that I have. So if people want to get in touch with me specifically to hear more, I mean, that website should introduce you to the group. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have, of course, we have an email list. And so I do send out uh, emails a couple times a month um, that will contain invitations to our activities and, um, you know, sort of our virtual meetings Mm -hmm. and keep people up to date. If people are interested in volunteering, I'm delighted to, um, you know, sort of talk to talk about that. People are interested in supporting us financially. That can also be done at our website. Um, And I'm also very, very happy to come to churches or civic groups or uh, I have, I've been to a number of retirement communities actually prior to this um, to share more information, the history, a little bit of the story that you just heard about how we got started, some education about the immigration system in general and, um, you know, sort of to go into more depth. And so I'm happy to do that. I consider that to be a part of this work is to bring, uh, you know, a t- the awareness of our um, efforts in Bucks County to the entire, you know, to the immigrant community and to our community of advocates and allies um, and folks who want to just want to learn more about the, um, That's about awesome. the situation. Yeah, appreciate the information. I think that'll be helpful for uh, people listening, uh, man, uh, you know, before we, uh, before we, uh, close things down here, um, we want to, you know, we want to be a church that prays for our community. Um, so is, is there any way, um, that we can pray for, uh, you, for, for your organization, uh, going forward? So I think patience and persistence are those two things that we, uh, you know, sort of, we need, and the willingness to use the tools for my, me personally, thank you for adding your voice to my own prayer, daily prayer of please 
you know, let me be willing to use these amazing gifts and the grace that has been put in front of me, which I should be celebrating at every moment. Um, and organizationally, I think that we are um, at that exciting point where we're, uh, you know, sort of developing and standing on our own. It is my, you know, firmest and fondest hope that the person, our paid staff will eventually come into, our paid staff person will take over my position um, and, uh, and that this place, this will go on and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, have an enduring space mm. in, um, Bucks County's you know, sort of ecosystem, if you will, and, uh, attending to the special needs of immigrants because they are among the most vulnerable in our midst. Yeah. And then I would say that, um, you know, a prayer always for those who are suffering, uh, for those who are sick and for those who are suffering economically, um, you know, throughout, well, not just in Bucks County, but in our state and in our country and all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Man, thank you so much, Jenny. I uh, really appreciate uh, you getting to know you more, um, hearing about and learning uh, you, about your work. And um, man, to the listeners out there, uh, you, you have her contact info. You can learn, uh, learn more about what they do and what Jenny's about by just going to all that information, the website, give her a shout. Uh, and thank you so much for listening into this podcast. Uh, we hope that you are leaving this, um, having gotten to know somebody, um, and, uh, you can, you can learn about us and follow us, uh, uh, for the town podcast on Facebook and on Instagram, and we have a YouTube channel. So, uh, you can look for us on those, uh, on those, uh, mediums, uh, to, to continue to follow us and hear more. Uh, podcasts and getting to know people in our community. Um, that's really what this is all about. It's just getting to know people. So man, thank you so much, Jenny. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and I, I hope to, after this quarantine, uh, I hope we could meet face to face sometime. So <laughs> thank you. So Absolutely. Much. Although I'll be also be happy to give a zoom presentation if, uh, if that would suit your congregation's needs or, um, be interested, but thank you. The questions were wonderful. I enjoyed this as well. Thanks a lot, Jenny and all listeners. Take care and tune in for the next one. Peace.